0: It's better back in the closet. Yeah. Okay. All but right. if that's going to require a huge You're, like, I'm sitting
1: here, Might as well see what's happening.
0: <laughs> back in the closet. While you do that, I'm going to get more water.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode number four of the Admissions Director's Lunchcast. I am your host, Tej Matil, Vice President for Enrollment at Carroll University. And along with my co-host, Nathan Ament, the Chief Enrollment Officer at Loyola University, New Orleans, we are here to award you relevant content on college admissions topics. Nathan, how are you?
0: Teej, I am very well. It's Tej soft G. It's episode four. We can't, we can't quite get it right yet. All right, T. Well, today uh, I'm excited to be here since we're going to be discussing scholarship days, and we have some really great guests to help us out as always. Did you help us reminder help us out with a reminder about the format of the lunchcast first?
1: Absolutely, Nathan. Each week, you and I, along with our guests, one influencer and one practitioner, will discuss a topic that is directly related to recruitment and admission. Our hope is that by the end of your lunch hour, you, the listener, will have a good enough handle on the topic that you can implement tactics quickly, maybe even this afternoon. So who will be joining us this week to discuss scholarship days? This week, as our Influencer Guest, we have Seth Harris, Managing Director of Analytics at the Education Advisory Board.
0: And as our Practitioner Guest this week, we have Whitney Rundell, Director of Admissions at Northland College in Ashland, Wisconsin. I'm pretty sure you're sort of familiar with that college, Tej.
1: I am, and with that person as well. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Should we set the table on our topic
0: first? Yeah, let's get started, Tiggy. Uh, TJ. All right. Well, today, Tej, we're going to be discussing scholarship days. Um, I'm really excited because this is a timely topic for when we recorded these episodes for us as we were trying to figure out um, what was going on with uh, scholarship days, especially within the pandemic. But then We actually, um, I'm hoping that we're gonna be able to talk quite a bit about premier scholarships in general. I know we have a couple of questions lined up about that, how they work together with the events, kind of the purpose and the goal of premier scholarships. So what are you excited to ask our guests about? Yeah, I wanna hear both of their perspectives about how you know
1: that there's recruitment value to these events, that the yield increases. You know, of course we know that students that visit campus are gonna be more likely to enroll. Is, is the added scholarship dollars necessary? How do you how do you measure that from an institutional perspective? And I, I think, you know, Whitney, as the, the director of admissions at a, at a small college and and Seth really digging into the data um, almost at a macro level, I'm, I'm really excited to hear their perspectives on that.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that Whitney, I, th- I think based on what you've told me, Whitney's going to have quite a bit of um, personal experience um, and is really a champion, right, for scholarship days at, at the onset.
1: She definitely is. And,
0: and both Whitney and
1: I and Seth and I have had great conversations about scholarship days in the past. So I'm excited to bring them to the Lunchcast. Do you know, Nathan, one other thing I'm excited to talk again, both with Seth and Whitney about is a, a particularly impactful incident at a scholarship day Whitney and I were a part of. We had a premier scholarship competition, so a few students got uh, really high scholarship increases and everybody got an increase of some sort, but there was one student who did not receive the highest scholarship but was a tier or two below that. and right there in the, in the theater, I can still remember it. I can, I can view where they were sitting. They started crying openly, just, just weeping um, because they didn't win the highest scholarship amount. And, you know, obviously something like that, you, you beat yourself up about And, and, and I think a a lot about the things we could have and should have done differently um, about that student. And we made changes immediately for the, the, the next scholarship day, actually, we do two scholarship days a year or we did two scholarship days a year. But I really want to talk to both Seth and Whitney about that particular students and really what they represent. Right. Bringing students to a scholarship day only for them to not receive the highest scholarship or as high as they had hoped. What does that do to their the, just their personal relationships with the college, with the counselors, with their own their own reactions to it? Um, I, I still think about that student a lot.
0: It's one of my greatest fears. And I know you and I have talked offline about that. So I'm glad you brought it up. It, it really is. I it, it, When I've had to do some of these events, I worry about more, probably more about the students that don't get the scholarship than do. And in my experience, that just hasn't been worth it for me. So I'm a little biased in that I have actually reimagined days um, away from uh, competitions into more celebration days, primarily based off of that story that you've told years ago. So I think that's a a really good launching pad um, for the discussion and it's Until I can't imagine what you did in that moment, um, because I still cringe a little bit just thinking about it, even as you tell it years later. So I'm excited to hear Whitney's perspective. And then I like you said, I know you analyzed it quite a bit with Seth when he was your consultant up at Northland. So I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, well, let's get right to it then. Um, I think it's time we heard from both of our guests. So here's our conversation with Seth Harris, our influencer guest, followed by our conversation with Whitney Rundell our practitioner guest. We really hope you enjoy these and we'll see you on the other side. All right, T.J. I'm really excited to introduce our first guest today, Seth Harris, who's our influencer guest. Seth Harris actually is a dear friend of mine, and we work together at Lawrence University, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about scholarship days. Seth, welcome to the Lunchcast. Thanks for having me. Seth, can you just give us your background real quick and how you got into higher ed and what your experiences are? I think that'd help our listeners. Sure, of
2: course. So a while back, I applied for a position in an admissions office and this guy named Nathan got it instead of me. And so I got this like runner up position and ended up in the office next to him. And somehow, despite that, we still became great friends Um, and so worked in admissions at Lawrence for a few years. And then worked uh, shifted over to to the consulting side. And so have worked for um, a firm that was called Hardwick Day at that point um, and has now uh, become part of some broader companies. First um, became part of Royal & Company uh, and then ultimately was merged with EAB. Seth, can you talk
1: a little bit, we're thinking about scholarship days this week. In your experience, what are some successful models of scholarship days and what are some of the not so successful models?
2: Sure that's a great question, and I think scholarship days have kind of seen uh, you know ups and downs in terms of how they've gone. I think they were more popular a, a while ago um, and and personally kind of from what I've seen, have been less popular recently in general, and we can certainly get into more specifics, but in general, scholarship days that are more about celebrating the success of of the students who are there and are less about sort of cutthroat competition tend tend to do better um, because you don't create that sort of, you know, sense that some kids are losing out of it, um, and so I, th- I think that when you have have that opportunity to be more celebratory rather than competitive, uh, se- seems to be the, the events that have been more successful recently. Seth, can you bring that to life a little bit more? What you mean by competitive versus celebratory? Absolutely. So a competitive event might be one where, um, you know, you have one or two full tuition scholarships or you know, extra large scholarships and. There's this big competition and, you know, whether students have to meet with faculty or do some sort of writing assignment or whatever, whatever sort of the, the activity is. And then from that, you know, a, a small handful or just a couple of winners are chosen and everyone else sort of leaves with nothing or leaves with sort of, you know, a modest change in their scholarship. Maybe, maybe they get an extra thousand dollars or two. Um, and so the, the concern there is that is that the students who don't win uh, kind of feel feel left out, feel like they they they've lost, and sort of the last thing you want to do is to create you know sort of feelings of loss or or you know sort of bad feelings towards your institution as as part of a day. And so so those th- those are the types of events that that I guess I, I worry a little bit more about where where you're where you're setting that up to to create bad feelings among students who have spent a lot of time and money to travel to your campus and then feel like they didn't get much.
0: Teach told a really interesting story when we were talking about this a little bit earlier on the podcast, uh, Seth, about how there was a student who didn't get it and actually started to break down and cry when the announcements were made. And it was really an unfortunate situation. But then TJ, I think you followed that up and said that that student actually ended up matriculating to the to the college. And so I think that's a really interesting scenario where um, are the students going to come anyway? Like you invite them in to do these competitions that are really selective. Are you really just throwing good money out the window in that you're creating this whole environment and doing all this effort with these days and then the students end up coming anyway? So are we really, is it, does it become a little bit of an echo chamber in that um, these students are going to, um, are going to yield and you're really just sort of reinforcing that yield when you maybe should be spending those dollars or allocating those resources somewhere else. I don't know if you had any experience with that or have any other stories around that. So.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of my other concerns about sort of a scholarship day is that, um, you know, students that are we all know that students who who visit campus are more likely to yield than students who who don't visit. but it's this correlation causation problem of, you know, do they visit because they were already more inclined to enroll? Or did something about the visit actually kind of, you know, change their mind and, and get them to, to become even even more likely to enroll? And so, you know, it's it's almost the same thing with um, with appeal dollars in that sense of, you know, the family that takes the time to appeal is already demonstrating that they're pretty interested in, in your institution. And so, you know, you, you know kind of it, you, you need to, like, really look at the data to, to get at and understand, um, you know, th- those behaviors, you know, look at Look at students that that didn't appeal, or in this case, or, you know, also maybe look at similar students who didn't attend the scholarship days. Are they enrolling at vastly different rates, uh, you know, yielding at, at different rates than than the students who who you did award a, a additional dollars to, to get some sense of, you know, is is are those dollars actually moving the needle?
0: And so, do you have any do you have any experience with any of your clients that maybe? Did the scholarship days, and then said no, it's not worth the effort. Um, we really did look at that data and look at that yield, and we really decided to go in a different direction, or maybe they just slimmed it down or anything. Have you have you experienced any radical changes with scholarship days that at campuses or no?
2: A while back, yeah, I think there there were a couple partner or partners where we ended up. Um, you know, looking at the data and deciding to to move away from a big scholarship day. Um, it's not something that personally I've had experience with recently um, where where partners have ended up shifting that. I think a lot of uh, a lot of the partners that I've worked with recently have kind of already done away with the scholarship days. So kind of in in my recent experience, it's not been something that's been as as common, but it, it certainly was kind of a, a big Decision for for partners when when they decided to move away from from the scholarship day because it had been sort of an anchor event for them in the spring as part of their yield season and and they were just obviously concerned that if they didn't have this big yield event that it, it would really impact things but but the experience uh, you know really. It really didn't have much impact on on the sort of overall enrollment with that. And I think that they were able to repurpose those dollars and efforts. Seth was actually our consultant um, at my previous institution
1: where we did transition from a very competitive scholarship day to a more celebratory one. And Nathan, that student I told you about, Seth and I had talked at length about that student and that incident and in helping us kind of make the shift. But a question I have, Seth, is if you if there's a value in the competitive scholarship days for a short period of time... What we were trying to do was reestablish ourselves as a high-quality institution in the region, and we felt like we had done that through the competitive scholarship days for a few years, and then we could pull back. Are there times when that's the wise approach, or or would you just encourage most folks to go towards the celebratory event from the jump?
2: You know, I think it just depends. I think, like you described, there, Tej, in that situation, I think it can make more sense of when you're when you have that specific goal of trying to kind of raise profile and and be seen as a more um, you know, a more valued institution in the minds of, a, a, in, in particular, that that audience. And so, uh, again, I think it's just so situational that it's it's hard to have a blanket statement about that. Again, I would probably err towards the more celebratory event um, if I was thinking about starting one today. But again, it just depends on, you know, are, are you located in an urban area or are you, are you in a more rural area? And how does that impact um you know people's ability to come visit campus. Do you, do you need do you need a reason to get people even more excited to come visit campus, for example? So I think it's just kind of again looking at at sort of your whole situation and kind of what your enrollment goals are and 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 consider the the pros and cons of this tool. It's you know I'm not saying you know scholarship day is is sometimes the right answer and sometimes it's it, it's the wrong answer and sometimes a competitive is the right answer and sometimes uh, a more celebratory is the right answer in this new world and sort of setting aside kind of current, you know, COVID restrictions and all of that. But even even beyond that, you know, our, our yield cycle, you know, the yield, the yield portion of the year used to be what sort of just springtime, um, you know, mm-hmm. two, 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 three months, and now students are being admitted and packaged in October. Um, and so right. it, it just changes that whole dynamic, I think. And, and so Um, you know, the sort of conventional wisdom before was more around, put your best scholarship in front of the student as early as possible, sort of the idea of like reducing barriers and and not, um, you know, not sort of making them wait to find out, you know, what their what their scholarships are. But I I think the the calculus has changed a little bit now in that, you know, it's how do you sustain interest over this much longer period of time. And so I still think, a really solid award up front is probably the right thing to get their attention and to keep them excited from the point of admission. Um, But sort of, you know, does it make more sense to have these sort of other touch points to sort of continue to, to, to fan the flames of that excitement throughout the whole spring and what's the right dollar amount and the right timing, I think is all things that, that I think we're still, you know, working on, on finding out, Um, you know, there are some students for, for which that, that, that sort of, you know, that sort of allure of that of a of a free of a full tuition scholarship might really drive some some application activity, and so I, I think there's you know it might have to do survey work or something, but again you know it's it's looking for the data behind that to say. How many students are, are we really getting who wouldn't have otherwise applied? And and is that enough to, to make it worth the sort of investment on, on on the financial aid side? So Seth, something you and I talked at length about, and I'm I'm curious to
1: to hear your perspective now is just the worry of taking discounting dollars that could be used to recruit additional students and and applying them to students who were very likely to enroll anyway. How do you how do you think about that? What data points do you look at to help? Help you determine if we're influencing a student positively or spending discounting dollars in in, the, in not the most efficient way.
2: You know, it is a it really is an important question and something that um, that, that we've act- we are actually able to to look at a little bit econometrically. Um, it is possible to build uh, a financial aid model that also accounts for the time of when the uh, scholarships were offered. Um, I worked with a partner that. Um, did a lot of late awarding and and felt that it was very effective and that it really drove a lot of activity. But we were able to actually build a model that essentially had initial scholarships, scholarships that were awarded, I don't know, in, in February or March, and then scholarships that were awarded in April, and sort of were able to, to actually change the the timing of the awards and were able to show them that earlier earlier awards actually were more effective than later awards. So you could take you know, $1,000 away from the from the March award or the, or the April award, and give it to the upfront award and and the model would show a better overall, you know, enrollment and net tuition revenue. So to an extent, you can do some of that modeling, where, where you can look at that and, and look at it for, from that perspective. But I think it's also just looking, you can, you know, if you don't have that type of modeling, or don't have a, a, a partner who can help you do that, you can just pull, pull it up and take a look at the, at the higher level data and say, you know, what what is the yield for for students who got the scholarship, and and if you have if you can have some sort of control group, what what was the yield on, on on the sort of base group that maybe didn't get that award, and if you see a significant difference in, in yield, then then maybe that that award is really driving so, some activity, but if not, then um, then it's then then maybe not. And, and the hard thing in all of this is that. Um, you know, what, when, you're, when you're thinking about effectiveness of aid dollars, you're actually looking for, um, you know, you oftentimes want to put the aid dollars towards where yields are low or where, you know, sort of application rates are low or whatever sort of action you're trying to drive for, for the students. Um, you know, students that are following through and sort of, you know, being successful in some ways, um, that's econometrically maybe where you don't want to put your dollars. At the same time, you also don't want to create a system where you're essentially rewarding, you know, you're sort of disadvantaging the students who are most interested in you. So it's finding that that balance between the two of, um, you know, creating sort of an equitable regime that drives the activities that you want, but also doesn't penalize students for for sort of being really excited about your institution.
1: Seth, thank you for telling us. I, as you were queuing up the research, I was like, "Please tell us, was it effective?" So it's good to know that it wasn't. The the other thing that's just so fascinating about what you what you said, Seth, was on the ground, right? So for for me, for Nathan, for for most of our listeners. The, the folks on the ground in that scenario that you talked about were too close to it to see that it was not the most effective way, right? Because right. they were working closely with the students and they could see how it shifted individual student perspectives. So being able to work with an outside partner or, or someone else who can do a dispassionate review, even if it's someone on campus in the institutional research office or something like that, to really look at the data irrespective of the individual student stories to get a, the broader sense. Is, is just so important because we can, we can trick ourselves so easily.
2: Yeah, and I think that's exactly what happened in this case is they, um, you know, they, they, they wanted to be very reactive and very sort of, okay, this, you know, these students here are, are not not yielding, you know, the way they wanted, maybe it was middle scholarship students or students from a particular region or whatever the sort of, you know, they're, they're very data savvy uh, partner. And so they were very good at slicing and dicing the data. But I think to your point, it, it may be, you know, it, it was maybe part of, of, you know, kind of why they were so wedded to it, because it, they really felt like it was very effective, because they were uh, able to sort of move these dollars around. And, and so it wasn't until you yeah kind of were able to step back and look at it from that broader picture to, to say, you know, econometrically, at least what the, what is there. And I always be quick to point out there's what's econometrically correct. And then there's what meets the institution's mission and values. And so, um, you know, it, it's not always... Um, the efficient thing is not always the correct thing. It's good advice, Seth, to, to always kind of look at the data, but then
0: make your own decision. And sometimes it's gonna work and sometimes it isn't. You do have to take some risks. And of course this is the year of the risks. So I appreciate that advice.
1: It occurs to me not all of our listeners may be working with an Econometrics partner. Can you just explain the, the general concept of Econometrics and how you use that to, to influence student behavior?
2: The... The basis of kind of what we're doing uh, when we're working with a, with partners on this is we'll we'll gather all the relevant admissions and financial aid data, clean sort and organize it, and then um, send it off to our statisticians, and they will then create a logistic regression equation, which is basically just uh, a, a, the the factors that uh, that will go with explaining whether a student enrolls or not. So the dependent variable is enrollment. So one zero did, did they enroll or not? And so we basically find for that particular partner, for that particular data set, what, what are the, you know, statistically, what are the factors that were significant in, in driving student enrollment? And one of those factors that we always find is the total amount of gift aid. So when we say total gift aid, we mean both federal and state dollars as well as any institutional dollars um, that, that were awarded to, to the student. And so we're, we're, we're basically trying to understand is, you know, what, what award did student have students have in front of them when they made this decision? And then in, in our model, then, um, it, it lets us basically create a science experiment where we're holding everything else constant except for changing the amount of gift date. And as we do that, we can understand the price responsiveness of, of, of students. So in, in some ways, we're, we're essentially, if you think kind of econ 101, we're, we're essentially helping helping institutions understand the demand curve that, that, that they face and sort of, you know, are, are, they, are they over-awarding? Are they under-awarding? Um, And it's not, it's not exact, you know, that this isn't to the penny of, you know, we can tell you student A should get this much and student B should should get that much, but it, it really helps us understand in general. Are you over-awarding or under-awarding? Are there particular populations or groups that are, that are, are particularly impacted? Um, so it, it gives you direction and magnitude in, in a really powerful way that can help you make sure that, that you're, not, you're not sort of missing the mark in terms, of, in terms of your aid strategy.
0: It's valuable advice. And I would highly recommend any of our listeners that are not working with a partner to at least to start to explore. I found in my experience working with somebody that really can come to you with the data um and have that understanding of it that deep level understanding um, and to have that advice and then also as a as a kind of a bonus but i think it's not really a bonus seth i think you and your colleagues do a lot of this is to then spread that word uh, throughout the campus mainly at the higher level talk to an administration talk to a president uh, potentially talk to a board of trustees to explain this. And it takes some of the pressure off the chief enrollment officer or the director of admissions to have to be the one that's just kind of shouting into the to the storm um, about how student behavior works and how students make decisions um, and how there really is a science blended with some practice behind this. So um, highly recommend anybody out there and Um, we can leave some notes in the show notes about um, Seth's contact information and how to get in touch with him if you want more information. I think that's probably it. Great interview, Seth. We appreciate you coming on. Do you want to give your contact information
2: if you want anybody to get a hold of you? Thanks. Yes. And if anyone uh, has further questions or wants to get in touch with me, please drop me an email. Uh, My email is sbharris at eab. Just
1: jumping in quickly in between our guests, I want to give you a heads up that on episode eight, we are going to have an announcement that, that I'm really excited about. Uh, one of our guests has agreed that just for our listeners, uh, there'll be an opportunity to uh, win a training program for your staff that you can choose to bring back to your campus uh, at no charge. So it's a fantastic opportunity. Stick with us and you'll get more details in episode eight. And here I am jumping in again. This is Teach just with a quick audio quality alert. We are aware that the interview that you're about to listen to came in a little quieter than normal. We apologize for that. We've done what we can, but I just wanted to address that upfront. The conversation though with Whitney was so great that we wanted to keep it as it was. Thanks. Well, Nathan, a conversation I've really been looking forward to is with Whitney Rundell. Whitney and I have worked together for six years uh, when I was up at Northland and had, had heated debates about scholarship days, so I'm so excited to bring that conversation here to the Lunchcast. Whitney, welcome to the Lunchcast.
3: Hi, everybody. I'm pretty excited to be here.
1: Good. Whitney, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and how you landed in your current position?
3: yeah hi everyone i'm Whitney Rendell i'm the director of admissions at Northland college in Ashland Wisconsin i grew up in the region so northern Wisconsin northern Michigan i have always loved the north woods and lake superior so when i was looking at colleges my college search was based around being up here being in the woods being on lake superior having all of those outdoor opportunities at my fingertips But another big part of it was that I was a first gen, low income college student. So it was really going to come down to cost for me at the end of the day. And I was very fortunate that somebody encouraged me to apply to a private college in addition to the public schools I was looking at as it ended up being the most affordable option for me and a great fit as it turns out.
1: Great, thank you, Whitney. So Whitney, I know from our conversations that you've been a big supporter of scholarship days. In your view, what makes these events worth having in your recruitment plan?
3: Yeah, I think they're really valuable because not only do they generally get students to campus, but it builds a lot of excitement for the student around a particular college and generally leads to much more engagement between that student and the college, whether that's through the admissions counselor or just general communication flow they're getting excited and they're digging in that much deeper and starting to see themselves potentially at that school.
0: So Whitney, what do you think makes these um, visits or these events um, more effective than a regular admitted student day or a regular visit for a mid student?
3: I think that typically colleges have more offerings than traditional visits when it comes to scholarship events or admitted student weeks, it tends to make the students feel more special, more recruited. They tend to start to picture themselves more. And I'll say that probably a few times, but I think it is so important for the students to really start to picture themselves at the campus, being part of the community. What would they do there? What would their life look like there? And they start to ask more specific, more personal questions I've found over the years that they don't just ask when you have a phone call or a virtual chat even. They want to go through the financial aid offer for a third time and bring up every you know personal detail to help them see how are they going to actually write out their check, right? So it gets much more detailed and much more personal at that point.
1: Whitney, do you think with the scholarship days, is it the high dollar scholarship amounts or is it the recognition or both that helps students see themselves at the university or the college in a in a deeper way?
3: I think it's both. I think it kind of depends on the student. Um, you know, it depends on where they're coming from. It can definitely lean one way or the other, but I think for the most part, it's both.
1: Whitney, do you worry about the recruitment impact of students that come to a scholarship day hoping to get the, the big scholarship, whatever that is, and, and get something lower than that?
3: Definitely, maybe. <laughs> Let me explain myself. <laughs> so of course I worry about the students who don't win, quote unquote, or aren't the recipients of the full tuition scholarship. However, I do think there's merit and value in the process of getting them to campus, those experiences they're having, they still feel like they're more special than the average student, even if they aren't the most special, if you will. Um, So it's kind of a a mixed bag. If they get a consolation scholarship, give them a bit of a boost, but not the full tuition, it can definitely help, even though it might still be a bit of a letdown. Um, But if they don't receive anything, I think that is where the biggest challenge lies is how do you still recruit somebody who participated in this, invested so much time, energy, and frankly, anxiety into something and were ultimately not selected.
1: Do you have any tips, Whitney, for someone who might find themselves in that situation?
3: You know, if you're trying to recruit these top-notch, high-achieving students and you can't give them a financial boost, try to find something else you can give them to still make them feel special and recognized and really make sure the personal follow-up is there to communicate specifically that we want you to be at X college because you are one of our top admitted students. We would be lucky to have you. I think that's the message that they need to hear in that situation.
0: It's probably important. I I wonder, do you have any experience with this, Whitney, where you've at least um, told the student ahead of time that there is a pretty decent chance they won't get the scholarship, and so there isn't any element of surprise? Or in your experience, does everybody kind of know coming in that they're going to walk away with something from this scholarship day?
3: I've, I've actually experienced a bit of both. So I have experienced a situation where everybody knows coming in that just for participating, they'll likely receive something. They might not Uh know what that is, but they'll receive something for participating. And this year is actually the first time that I'm experiencing the, well, we have like a hundred and some students participating in five scholarships. So it is going Uh to be competitive, but, um, they're preparing themselves for that. And they're thinking about how much they're investing in the process for the odds and the outcomes. I think they're definitely thinking a lot about how do they prepare? How do they make themselves the strongest possible candidate in that situation?
1: Whitney, I'm curious, how are you preparing the admissions counselors for what will be very different follow-up conversations than maybe you have in the previous few years?
3: Well, It won't be too different because I just learned that we will have some sort of financial boost for the students who aren't ultimately the recipients, but the students won't know that in advance, which is what's different. However, we have been in the lead up to this event, really coaching the counselors on the importance of the student and how much we value them. And even if they participate and aren't ultimately selected, they're still some of our top-notch students, and we'd be incredibly lucky to have them. I think that in college admissions, we tend to get so single-minded in that, you know, the students are wanting to come to our institutions, and yes, we are ultimately recruiting them, but I think we overlook the value of letting them know how much we value them and how special they would be to us at our institution, if that fits your mo as an institution i guess
0: talk a little bit more about that so you you feel like we should just try to somehow connect the dots between um the institution's mission and what we're doing or in the moment we're trying to really make sure that they feel valued or maybe both bit of both well, Whitney, we've talked about a student um, earlier in the lunch cast um, at one of your scholarship days who actually cried because they didn't earn the highest scholarship. It was a pretty negative reaction. Um, how did that student influence your thought process on the question about the the recruitment impact of students that weren't selected?
3: At that point in my career, it made me realize that these aren't always just about earning more money. Um, Being a low-income student myself, I always assumed it was about getting more money. But this student was literally crying having received more money because they hadn't earned the top award, the top full tuition scholarship. So it's not about the money, but it is about being the best and winning in some cases. And I have reflected on this a fair amount and realized it is such a high stress situation for these high achieving students, many of whom who have been working for top grades over the last four years of their life, just for this moment and a particular outcome that they have been striving for, that it can be a really, really hard thing to process. And I think the biggest takeaway from that for me, aside from that realization was that The delivery method of the news is so important it shouldn't be um you know like a public announcement it should be a personal conversation to notify them of whether or not they were recipients and what that means for them and then to talk through how they're feeling and what they're thinking at that point
0: i think that you made some really interesting points there um i like how you talked about following up um with the students after the fact um, I'm sure some of our listeners are at a little bit larger institutions where maybe they don't they can't quite do that follow-up but either way I think the point of what you're trying to make is that you're allowing the student to process it on their own in their own house with their family around them instead of in a public venue which I agree with I think that's a really great thought you heard to me though about when you were saying the pressure that these students are under and I agree a hundred percent we see it more and more as every year goes by. Um, I'm interested that student that had that negative reaction, um, I, I don't know how much you know about her because I believe she actually did matriculate to Northland. Did she, was she a low income student that had affordability issues in addition to her drive for success? Or was it just a complete competition focused, um, reason why she, she reacted so negatively?
3: I don't think affordability was a huge concern for that student.
1: Well, Whitney, one theory that that you hear out there is the high dollar scholarships can be effective in changing a college's reputation with a particular population. And I just I have a feeling that you might have a strong opinion on that. And I am curious what you think.
3: Yeah. So I am guessing you're referring a bit to my own personal experience here, Teach. <laughs>
1: yes. Yes, I am.
3: Um, so I first would like to draw like a distinction, right? So it could be with first-gen low-income students, or it could be with high-achieving students, but they're not mutually exclusive. There are a lot of high-achieving, low-income students out there. And I think that gets lost a lot in our our profession, Um, but to come at it, particularly from the low-income angle, cost is everything. The difference of $500, $1,000, $2,000 can make or break their higher ed plans. And from my experience, having worked with a very rural territory at one point in time, being able to offer a full tuition scholarship to a high achieving student made them consider coming to an institution they couldn't otherwise afford or they didn't think they could otherwise afford. So they didn't look at us until they knew that that was an opportunity for them. We could talk about how cost wouldn't be a barrier, that we had generous scholarships, generous financial aid, but until they heard from their friends, their family, their community that so-and-so got a full tuition scholarship and they identified themselves to be like that student, then it started to open up doors and break down those barriers.
1: Wendy, that's fantastic and again thank you so much for your time uh, talking with us on the lunch cast just in closing what is something you're really excited to be trying out this spring and how can folks get in touch with you if they want to continue the conversation
3: yeah so I'm pretty excited about a new sort of hybrid event that we're doing at Northern College and it's essentially a full tuition scholarship competition, like we've been talking about, centered around our mission called the Sigrid Olson Scholars. And we're doing it virtually, pandemic, COVID, I get it. Um, and I'm really excited for the enthusiasm we're seeing from our students and the way that they want to engage, even though it's going to be so much different than a traditional event.
1: Great. And how can, how can people get in touch with you?
3: Yeah. So, Folks can feel free to email me at wrundell at northland.edu. R-U-N-D-E-L-L.
1: Great. Whitney, thank you so much.
3: Thank you. It's been great.
0: All right, Tiki. Well, that was a really great group of guests, and uh, I'm really glad we had both of those conversations. I'm really glad that you invited both of those guests um, to this episode. I think it dovetailed nicely, um, given both perspectives. I I will always take an excuse or have an opportunity to sit around and talk about data with Seth and talk about how data should inform decisions not directly drive decisions and then of course to hear that story again and hear the perspective of whitney um how it affected it's well let's say it's still affecting um decisions at northland even after you're no longer there so um what were some of your thoughts after we listened after we listened to those two interviews yeah, you know, I agree that there's just no end of the
1: the benefit you have from an hour with Seth Harris, right? If you can just sit down and work through some data and some questions. And I've always found, you know, Whitney, when I, I worked with her directly for six years as her supervisor, she, I've, I've learned so much from her and her personal experience and perspective. Um, so I, I was just overjoyed that both of them both of them joined us. I really liked Whitney's perspective on the the premier scholarships, kind of changing the reputation of a college for a certain segment of the population. Uh, when Whitney and I worked together at Northland, we were were trying to reestablish Northland as a, a a great option for high achieving students in the Northwoods of Wisconsin, and and those scholarships really helped do that, and and did change and change the enrollment effects, not just for the students that received the scholarships, but after a couple of years, we were seeing high achieving students um, that hadn't been coming to the college the, the years before start to start to come in as well. So Whitney's perspective was great. And, and again, Seth just has this way about him of looking at a data set and helping you see things in the numbers, answer questions that you didn't even know were there.
0: Always. And I mean, even going back before he worked for EAB, I remember having these discussions um, at at Lawrence together, you know, and that's how Mm -hmm. he really was able to interpret it. And I learned a lot from him in that regard and how I make decisions now, years later. Of course, he's one of my go-tos. I think he's one of your go-tos, even though neither one of us, you know, actually work directly with him. We still go to him for advice and whatever else. Um, I, I'm still struggling with, and I'd like to just talk for a minute about these premier scholarships. It just seems counterintuitive to me. And I'm, I, this is a real time decision for me um, at Loyola um, about do you have to, are you doing these scholarships for the result of enrolling students? Or are you doing it more to feed the pipeline? And I keep probably leaning more towards feeding the pipeline because you're getting students involved and it isn't the direct result. But I, I, I just, th- again, I think that's really hard to communicate to an admission staff. It's really hard to communicate probably to the families that don't get it. And I'm going to be watching our numbers really closely this year because we're going to have to make some decisions because we're just not seeing the yield rate come through with these premier scholarships once we finally get to that point where we give them. But we're seeing huge numbers further up the funnel. And so I'm really stuck. And I just don't know if you had any further thoughts about that yourself.
1: You know, for me, it really is, you have to, the, the thought I would have is that you have to define success before the results are in. Otherwise, you, the data will tell you what you wanted to say. Your yield rate is going to be up on these students, but how up does it need to be to justify the the financial aid um, allotment to, to these students as opposed to other, other needy, deserving students? It, and then go from there. So I think it's you can't just compare the yield rate of students who came versus didn't come because of course they're going to be different. I think you've got to somehow do a year to year comparison of um, students that fit a certain demographic but didn't come last year. How how likely were they to enroll and, and play that forward and see if you can move it, move the numbers that way? But it's it's just an imp- impossible question to know for sure. This is this is one of the art and science. You know, uh, even Seth can only take the science so far on this question. Um, then it is just a, a gut decision, and what you're seeing on the ground. We I moved away from the premier scholarships. Really, yeah, Be, really? because we thought we had met the objective, um, and mm. and frankly, the donor stopped funding them, so that, that helped right. make right. <laughs> the decision. Um, makes it easier, yeah. But it, it, you know, we still could have done them with institutional gift aid, and then at that point, when it's um, when it's no longer a funded scholarship, then it became you know, there's a a finite number of discount dollars you have available. And and we made the decision to apply them elsewhere.
0: One of the other things we're really struggling with, and this is, this comes back for me, this is the golden rule of enrollment management or recruitment or whatever category you want to put it in, understand your institution and understand your institution's market position. Mm -hmm. And, we compete for these premier scholarships, the ones that end up going all the way through the funnel, the faculty or find the ones that they really like. We're competing with students at a national level that have just options across the board, right? At, At premier institutions that are much higher in the pecking order than us. And what we have found over the last couple of years is that we've really done better with the students that um, you know, we categorize them as tier two and tier threes because they're still really solid students. They're still slowly pushing up our academic profile, um, but they it's not that they have less options, but they're a little bit more thoughtful about their options. And so that's where I think um, I, I will. I, that's where I'm leaning away from the premier scholarships. But then interestingly enough, we have another pipeline that's pretty solid because we have a strong music program and we instituted full tuition scholarships for the music department. And uh, we we call them these director's awards and each director within the music department gets to choose one and whatever else. And we have a pretty long wait list and all those students are chomping at the bit um, because there's another hook there, right? There's another hook with the music part of it. And I'm kind of thinking if I could shift some discounting dollars over into that if we're not getting the yield on these others. So it's almost like I'm not getting away from premier scholarships, but I'm sort of getting away from premier scholarships. And I think going back to your point with what Seth always says, art and science, art and science. And that's where you really have to kind of see. And you have to give it time. You have to see some of these patterns and how they develop over time. And one year or two years are just not going to do it. You have to really make sure to make sure that, that you kind of see the overall pattern, lean into your outside consultant. I'm glad you asked that question of Seth. <laughs> There's probably quite a few um, folks out there that don't have the benefit of an outside consultant. So I'm glad you asked that question and have explain that a little bit. But this is where that the opinion of um, somebody that's looking at a bunch of different institutions can bring that outside perspective in. So. Really, you know, stuff. And I think just
1: for our listeners, this is intended to be a one minute wrap up segment, but that we're going on this much tells you how, how unending this debate yeah. and this conversation can be for, for us and, and will continue to be.
0: Anyway, this was a great episode. I'm glad we were able to talk to both these folks and um, I'm Nathan. And I'm teach That was a lunch guest. Thanks guys. I hope our one listener has made it this far and yeah. hasn't turned it off yet. But <laughs> maybe, maybe it went from two listeners down to one, and they're going to hear it all at the end. It's probably because you're going to put the awesome music at the end of this, and they just like to hear that. So,
1: but but listen, that one remaining listener may win our premier lunchcast scholarship.